You ready? <laughs> I'm Lindsay White. And I'm Kellyanne DiCarlo. <laughs> and we are so excited to welcome you to the She Wakes Up at 5 a.m. podcast. A nuanced conversation between two internet friends about high-profile public figures who affect our culture. A passion project that stemmed from our mutual distaste for the tabloid's unfair description of Meghan Markle's work ethic. A deeper look into the strategy that fills your feeds as we discuss current pop culture and royal news. As well as share our own experiences behind the scenes in the entertainment industry. We believe in the gray area. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Guys, it will never be normal. The intro to this episode, any episode will never be normal. We can't get it together. We have a a countdown every single time and it's like stress. It just always (laughs) makes us laugh. Hi, guys. Welcome to the She Wakes Up at 5 a.m. podcast. I'm Kellyanne. And I'm Lindsay. And today's an exciting day because surprise, we have a bonus episode for you. Woo! That's right. Exactly. Bonus surprise. So this is a bonus episode and a bonus surprise. There will be two bonus episodes. We will be doing our recap of Spare, Prince Harry's memoir, in two parts. Because my God, if we did it all in one episode, you would be here for three days. We don't want that for you. No. And we want, you know, the reader, I mean, the reader, I mean, yes, the reader and the lister at yeah. this point to have time to read it. I've never finished a book so quick in my life. <laughs> um, I personally listened to the audiobook. I do have the physical book. I bought that first, pre-ordered it on Amazon, but then found out that he was going to be doing the a narration of the book. So I was like, absolutely. I love audiobooks because I love podcasts. Ha ha ha. <laughs> We're on a podcast. So, <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I'd rather listen. To, I, I love his voice and I yeah. think conveys his words very well. So, yeah, I listened to the book and Killian physically read the book. So, we in have two days. In two in days, two you guys. Days. I'm very proud it, of myself. This I've is never commitment. Done this in my life. Mm-hmm. We are Never. committed. We are committed to the audience. Okay. Um. So we're, we were going to break this down as we're going to do this in two parts. The first episode today will be all of part one and two pre Megan. And then part two will be from the time they meet through their courtship through the end of the book. That's the plan here. We're going <laughs> to off to a great start. My Michael was hit the deck. <laughs> We're going to start. What was I saying? I don't. We're going to start. Good God. We're going to start at the beginning. And we're going to try to hit everything, but we probably won't because this page is, this book is 500 pages. So if there's anything we missed, don't tell us. Honestly, like. (laughs) I mean, we just found, I mean, I found out that the book was originally 800 and he had to, 800 pages and he had to narrow it down to 400, 500, whatever pages. And he said he has enough to make a whole other book. I'm just like, <laughs> I just I not I this year. Just, yeah. I, no. All right. Shall we get started? Yes. Okay. Part one. So it starts at Philip's funeral. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about how we feel overall? Yes. Okay. Let's yes. start there. Overall, I think reading this was such an emotional roller coaster. Especially in the beginning, the tension is very deep, and you and you hear about, especially in his beginning of the of not the beginning of his life, the, after his mom's death, 
you can tell this this boy was messed up. He was messed up. And especially with their family structure, it wasn't conducive to a child in that was grieving. And so we, there was children, no I would say even children who were yes, grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Children that were grieving, just maybe even adults, like right. it, it, it didn't serve him well. And so over, overall that whole part was just so heartbreaking and even into the middle and in the book, what I came out from reading this book is that all this man wanted was a hug. I know. I know. That's well, all he needed really. If yeah. you think about it. I had, yeah, I had a really interesting experience reading this book because my dad died when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and I have a, not, I wasn't as young as Harry, but I was an immature 18 and I grew up very quickly. Mm -hmm. So listening to the way that he compartmentalized and didn't, I mean, I'm somebody who also, we'll get into this probably a lot in this episode because I just feel like there were so many similarities and there, there were so many parts of this book that I read and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I did that too. Like where I just sort of didn't, I just kind of compartmentalized analyzed my grief because at the time it felt like it was about everybody else and didn't deal with it for a decade myself. Mm -hmm. So hearing how, and I think losing a parent when you're a child and yeah, I was technically 18, but I was, I was very much a kid. When you lose your parent as a child, it's a very singular experience versus losing your parent as an adult. And they're both very difficult, obviously in different ways, but reading about his need to be seen and have his feelings validated and not getting that from anybody and not really having the tools to verbalize what he needed at the time Mm -hmm. um, and therefore looking for an outlet elsewhere. I really, I mean, it was like, I was like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. And I don't think everybody who's going to read this book is. Yeah, no. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how it's received because a lot of his experiences are very singular experiences. And I just hope that the people reading the book can enter into it with a really solid amount of openness and empathy because his experiences are very individual to him. And mm-hmm. then you add the institution and you add the layering and you add all of the the lack of intimacy between family members, physical in- intimacy between yeah. family members. And it's just a it's just not a conducive healing environment to deal with grief for a child. Mm-hmm. So so those were kind of my initial thoughts. And I was very struck I mean, just going into the epilogue, I was very struck by how compassionately he described that first conversation with William and Charles. Even though this whole family is in such a gilded cage and they're an institution that functions in such an individual way, the way that they relate to each other is still really relatable because they're Mm -hmm. humans. And that's what I think is worth discussing. Him talking about the idea of going into a hard conversation with a family member and you just can't hear each other. And I think that is the crux of the problem with his, with him and his brother is that Harry has done his own mental work and William needs to do his own version of that. It doesn't have to look like Harry's. It can be something totally different, but until they are both on their own journey of trying to work past what happened to them, Mm -hmm. they won't be able to speak the same language. They won't be able to hear each other. Knowing how it feels to walk into a hard conversation only to be met with a stoic resolve because the person that you're trying to have this conversation with isn't ready to have it. Mm-hmm. I thought was really relatable. And and I also appreciated that Harry was like, yeah, I wasn't at my best. I was nervous. Yeah. And sometimes and I, you're just, you can't communicate effectively. And that's, that's probably true for all three of them in that conversation. Yeah. And that was the first time he had seen them since him and Megan left. Yeah. And there has been a lot of space, distance, poor communication, I'm sure. Yeah. And it was probably not the best 
time. What it's so interesting because I'm looking back at that funeral and I watched it. And I remember at the end, Kate and Harry were walking and talking and then Will catched up to him and then they were kind of talking. Yeah. And it was like, it was kind of like for the audience, like, oh, maybe this is a chance for them to right. really start making some strides. But learning from the book that it was a very unproductive conversation with him and his dad. So later on that day, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's so interesting hearing all of this and his words, especially when you've seen footage of them together, especially in these unfortunate gatherings. And you are wondering what's being said or family members even talking to them, like even thinking about the queen's funeral. Did anyone talk to them? It's so sad. The whole, the whole time I was just like, this is sad. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about part two next week, but the the conversation that he has with his brother at the end mm. got very emotional reading it because it's just, they're just not speaking the same language. They can't hear each other. And it's, it's so sad because, I mean, we learn from this book that they never really were that close. They had moments of closeness, but they were never best friends the way that the media sort of created. And, or even the palace, um, really. Yeah. And I think, I think the reading that and learning that it, it makes a lot more sense because they didn't have a rapport to return to mm-hmm. where they both could understand each other because they were ultimately always on separate paths. I mean, I liked that they started at the funeral because it started at the end and then you're going to work your way to the beginning and see how we get there. And then ultimately the book also ends in Balmara. By the way, this episode is full of spoilers. So if you haven't read the book, go read the book and then come back. Please read yeah, the book. Don't, yeah, don't. Or listen to it. We are very team read the book, whatever you've seen or heard headlines. It does not, it does the book such a disservice because you are already forming an opinion of something you have not even read yet. It's the same thing what they did with, with Megan's letter to her dad. They just sliced, diced certain, literally three lines (laughs) of certain parts and made it a whole thing. And it's sad what they're doing to them. And I just want to say... Anyone who has written a book about any members of that family or the family in general to come on TV saying that certain things did not happen. I'm sorry, this is not your life. You're a third party and maybe things are not what you have been told. Whatever he is remembering is what he remembers. So I think it's very jarring to hear people who are correcting him. This is his life and he's the one that's lived it, not these people. And I would argue that you can't, (laughs) I've seen a lot of reporters saying that they have no involvement with the stories that were broken or the stories that were reported while in the same breath being absolutely sure that what they reported is true. And you can't be both guys. You have to, if you're going to, if you're going to sit here and say, I know that this is a fact and then turn around and say, well, I don't know where it came from. That's not, that doesn't make any sense. So that's been a little bit frustrating to see. And I think that um, it's important to call that out because it's, uh, we're all, we gotta, we gotta just start to talk about that more because the, the way that I think the British press gets away with this half in half out model of, of not, of, of not being involved directly, but befriending members of the family and then you know conveniently having the excuse of oh well I didn't know or oh well that didn't I I can't reveal my source but then saying with absolute certainty something really dangerous and damaging about someone's life or someone's military experience like you should be ashamed yeah that was sick okay so I found it really interesting that Harry talked about he gave a lot of context. Well, the theme of this episode is context. He um, <laughs> gave a lot of context about how his memory works and how he 
can really paint a picture in his mind based off of like architecture and decor and surroundings in general. And I thought that was really, really interesting. I didn't know that about him. I felt like I was watching a movie. Yeah. It was very descriptive. Yeah. Balmoral was such a big part of his upbringing. Right. And for it to begin and end in, in Balmoral was very poetic in a very interesting way. Him being, you know, woken up in the middle of the night by his dad and the kind of compassion that he has that I think the reason why I think he has a lot of compassion for Charles, especially in this book is because he is a father now Mm -hmm. and that I agree. And so he understands maybe some of the things that was done or lack thereof. I mean, Charles is a part, um, a product of his environment. He is a product of a, generation, you know, his mom wasn't around for a good part of his, when he was a baby. Um, He was raised by nannies. Like you didn't hug the queen. He says that Charles wasn't a very affectionate parent. Um, He got that affection from his mom. The reason why I think he's going harder on William in this is because him and William are from the same generation and they knew better. They saw firsthand what his father and like that whole generation had did. So for it to him to repeat those same things, he's like, what's happening here? We're the same. We're from the same place. Why are we doing this to each other? Says things about William, but still in a very loving way. It's never like my brother is the most ridiculous person. Like it's never trashing. Well, the thing is about this book is that the theme is context, but the theme is also multiple things can be true at once. He can love his brother and also really disagree with the way he's done things. He can love his brother and also understand that his brother is in a different position in a different path and has his own family to protect. He can William can have experienced the press leaking and planting and all of that from his own father's office. He says that he, yeah. him and Kate got bat- negative press after a tour. I don't know which one it was exactly, but that they got negative press because Kate did too good of a job or Kate was too much on the front covers of the pages. It's literally what happened to Megan. He can be upset about that and also down the road protect his family because he's no longer the one to get in trouble when that happens because that Mm -hmm. torch was passed to harry and megan and you know in his interest i guess he maybe he felt i'm speculating obviously i don't know him personally but maybe he felt well it's not on us anymore maybe it's their time to get the negative press but the difference was that megan's negative okay we said we're going to talk about pre-megan the idea about this book is that so many things can be true at once um and that it's complicated and so much of this these relationships are complicated. Um, I mean, if you even think about the way that the air in the spare verbiage was used by his own family, that was something that I didn't know. I thought it was just used by the press. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was used by his own family members. And the idea that you're born <laughs> as, what did he say? I, I wrote down this quote because I was like, what? I was the shadow, the support, the plan B. I was brought into the world in case something happened to Willie. I was summoned to provide backup, distraction, diversion, and if necessary, a spare part. Kidney, perhaps, blood transfusion, speck of bone marrow. This was all made explicitly clear to me from the start of life's journey and regularly reinforced thereafter. Like, (laughs) yeah, he's a child. He was kind of just left to himself. You know, right after his mom died, he went to boarding school. Oh, what do I want to call them? Did he, did he, how did he describe the women that were at the school that helped him? I want to call them house moms, like in the story. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Kind of was like the mother figure. I think this, I feel like there's so many themes in this book. He needed, he needed a hug. He needed a mother figure. He's been basically searching for his mother since she's been gone. 
it's shown in his actions, whether you want to pin them on just teenage angst or whatever. I think he knew that he could probably get away with a lot of other stuff. And Um, I mean, am I the only one? I have this like weird feeling that this book is really for his father and his brother. Yeah. I mean, they won't read it, but. He literally says, Willie, Pa, world. I was like, oh, did you write this for them? Yeah, because he thinks that they don't don't understand him. And this is the book to help them understand, mm -hmm. which they probably will never read it. And they're all like. Oh, I don't agree, actually. I feel like they will. Mm -hmm. I do. I don't think William will read it, but I do think Charles will read it. Hmm. Because Charles wrote his own. Don't forget. I know. And that's the whole thing that I have an issue with. (laughs) I know. People are literally losing their minds because they act like this hasn't been done before. Both Charles and Diana did this. They didn't physically write it, but they worked with the author and they they gave them stories. Diana just had tape recordings and Andrew Morton wrote her words the only difference is that this is literally prince harry saying this is me i wrote this that's the only difference he has the balls to say i'm i'm not gonna no one's gonna speak for me i'm gonna speak for myself and i'm gonna say it from me even if it's not what you want to hear sticking with diana's death i was really struck by the fact that when his mother died there was no difference in the world around him really like he says everybody went back to normal no wonder he had no way to release any emotion there was no safe place to do so because I I can't imagine having gone through what he went through and then having nowhere to release your feelings or your confusion because no adult around you is making you feel safe enough to do so. And it's interesting because I wonder if her and Charles were still married and this happened, would things be different? Because she's no know. longer part of the family. You know, she they were divorced. She, they stripped her from her HRH. She was pretty much a very polarizing figure in that family. And so... Who else do I know that's like... Huh. <laughs> Who else have uh, they made that person? You know, how things were being portrayed. It's being told that the queen didn't show her face because she was concerned about her grandchildren, which that's most likely true. Well, the whole flag, the whole flag being flown up the house that was made up by the press. The people who were part of a large organization that chased her into that tunnel. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I don't want to say it's an obligation that they felt like they had to because, I mean, there's the mother of... The two boys, the, yeah. The two boys and the future king. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had any emotional connection to her anymore because of what they she put them through in those final years and what shame she may have put on Charles's name, even though he did that to himself. Um, yeah, <laughs> there probably was a little bit of a detachment for the other members of the royal family. I found it interesting that he said um, what really also really struck me, and I felt this way when she died, which is ironic because I was very little. I was little when she died. I remember thinking that very similar to this, he, he says in the book, they cared only about seeing some official show of mourning and they were enraged by its absence, were whipped into rage by the British papers, which were trying to deflect attention from their role in mummy's disappearance. I recall one headline addressing pointedly at granny, show us you care. How rich, coming from the same fiends, who cared so much about mummy that they chased her into a tunnel from which she never emerged. I wonder what the headlines would have been. It really made me think about the way they would have pivoted if, God forbid, Megan took her own life when she was pregnant with Archie. And I think about that a lot. I actually think about- What would they have said? What would they have said- what would have they done? What happens? You know, I I even think about it now. What happens if something happens to the to the both of them? God forbid, both of their children. Right. Then what? 
Yeah. And what? And they would have this big retrospective look at what happened and how we could have have how this all could have been avoided and yada yada yada. But I I think about that often. And it's kind of I don't like thinking about people dying personally. No, of course but not. It, it, but it's like one of those things that it could have all happened the same way in a in a different way, really. And mm-hmm. but it's I but. You said part of um, what he said about his mom um, when he talks about his mom's disappearance. Mm-hmm. And he says that very often until the moment where he goes through the tunnel in Paris himself and where he actually comes to terms with her being gone. Mm-hmm. And that is like knowing that your mom is dead, but in your mind, you are trying to rationalize that she's not, she can't be dead. So she's just hiding until it's safe for her to come out. Well, this is one of those things that I was saying before that I'll, about what it's like to lose a parent as a child, I think. And this doesn't happen to everybody. But like when my dad died when I was 18, I it was two weeks after my freshman year of college started. And so mm. I came home for a week for the funeral and then I went back to school. And those weeks when I was at school, not that I didn't believe he was gone because I did. Mm-hmm. And I was in the hospital. I saw everything. But it was a kind of a moment where I could sort of just be like, nah, that's not my life. It's fine. And I think this is obviously a much more serious version of that. I think he really did believe that she wasn't. But he believed that because he wasn't surrounded by people who helped him come to terms with the truth. Of course, his brain is going to go to irrational places because he wasn't given the space to have rational thoughts about it. What also really struck me is how Charles is such a sensitive person. Mm -hmm notoriously he's a very sensitive person and really I, I get the feeling resented his upbringing and the fact that it wasn't intimate and that it wasn't particularly warm mm-hmm. and you know suffered bullying at school and everything and didn't try to choose differently for his kids that to me is pretty wild um because his own reaction to Diana's death lacked a lot of warmth towards his sons, in my opinion, from what what was described in the book. I mean, I don't know any person that would tell their – how old was Harry? 12? 11? Yeah, 12. A 12-year-old son that his mother died and then leave him alone for hours? I, I know that there's responsibilities there and there's a job, but he couldn't have come with you? Like, I, I, I have a hard time understanding that, but I also wasn't there and I also don't understand how the institution works. Fully, I mean, I'm learning through all of this, but even though Harry acknowledges that it was what he what he did show at that time was a lot, mm-hmm. it still wasn't enough. <laughs> no, that was um, his, that, that was him doing what he could and if do you, in his capacity. And if you take into account the fact that Diana was such a touchy feely, warm person, mm-hmm. that probably only made her absence more clear. Was that those elements of intimacy with your parent was missing even more so? Yeah, he she was like the driving force for love in his life. For you sure. can tell that that is where it fueled him and felt like. Mm-hmm. I don't know the re- relationship with her and, and William. I I only know because of Harry what his relationship with her was. I know that I said something. I th- I think she said something. I don't know where I, I heard this from, but she said the institution has William or the, uh, the William is the institutions and Harry mm-hmm. is mine. And yes, I was, remember that. Yeah. It's very telling. Like, yes, she was very happy for William. He was going to be king and she very much primed him to be that. And, but Harry was the one that she could really devote a lot of time to because she knew down the road, William would be 
in a different place. Yeah. And he would be doing different things that was expected of him. And you could just tell Harry was the, he was just fun. And he had her personality and to, to, to think of how she could be alive today and what she would be doing. I also had this aha moment too, when they were talking about the funeral and how um, her brother, Charles, used that time to drag the family, the press. And that was, that's really Harry's first, to my knowledge, first memory or moment, I guess, watching a man defend his mother Yeah, to, to publicly Project. or speaking, speaking out against the powers that be that had a part in her death. And I think it's so interesting because it's almost exactly what he's doing now. It's almost exactly what he's doing now. He and Charles Spencer, Spencer, yeah, he dragged that family, the country, the press crazy. Yeah. I can't believe they were going to make William walk by himself. That's... I was like, at 15? Sick. It's crazy. And then even to hear him talk about the, the relationship at that moment of how he was like, oh no, my, my brother would never let me do that. And I will never yeah. let him do that by himself. And yeah, there's love so, there for sure. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and I think it's their relationship is like any other younger, older sibling, especially yeah. at that young age. Um, I'm the oldest. So when my brother was younger, when we were growing up, of course, I don't want him to play with me. I don't want him to hang out with my friends. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was completely understandable. And I don't think it was him complaining like, oh, like my brother didn't want to be around me. Like, no, this right. is just what was happening in my life at that time. It is what it is. But yeah. to, that speech that Charles Spencer made at that funeral cost him an invitation at Williams in, in Kate's wedding. I know. Which is interesting because his god his godmother was the queen. Mm -hmm. Very, very telling. I loved that Harry had to do a play at school. <laughs> I think it was so cute. I loved it. The <laughs> I just I can't even think about side sidetrack. What was that movie that movie that came out? Oh no, it was a show or a movie, I can't remember. It came out on Netflix. And it's with Sienna Miller. It's recent. Her husband is a PM. Anatomy of a Scandal. Oh my God. That, sh that, was that show's really good. But anyways, they're both like, I think at Oxford or something and, or Cambridge. I can't remember. And yes. you know, it's a elite school and the parties. And so just think about these prep school boys at Eton and mm -hmm. like, it's very, he's in a bubble and he's always been in a bubble, but you can see who he's surrounded by mm -hmm. and they're all rich, most likely aristocratic. Yep. And his opinion of the world is like starting to form. You can just tell he is still, especially speaking in this book, as well as the interviews mm -hmm. as much as he thinks and i do believe that he is on like another side of things yeah but he's still very much in it's engraved in him in, mm -hmm. in terms of like the institution how he was raised just the things that he was saying you're still a, a privileged man and as much as you are trying to show the world and probably want to be not he, he has still has a lot of growing to do oh yeah and, i think and i and I think it's, but it's nice to see him like trying to articulate wherever he's at, but it's just interesting reading the book and then seeing, you know, the interviews and stuff. I was really grateful that the docu-series came out first. And I wonder if this was purposeful, but I think because the docu-series went into so much of this, a lot of this I had straight visuals for. Like a oh, lot yeah. of, a lot, and not even just the courtship piece, like the the part of, of um, him talking about the history and talking about all of the, the history of the monarchy and setting up how the institution works. I had a real picture 
in my mm-hmm. brain of how all of this works. And I wonder if that was intentional. I loved that. Yeah. I think he he's I think he's really trying to use the privilege that he has for good oh for sure i mean he can't look he can't help where he comes from he can't help the family he's part of and that is something he will probably butt heads with his whole life because regardless of how much he sheds where he comes from he still is a member of the british royal family so i think it's for him i think it's probably just trying to find the balance of acknowledging all of the things that come with being who he is and also trying to unlearn as much of it as possible i guess, i would think for him it would be something you have to think about your kids in the future and archie and lily will be a part of that family as well and having to sort of marry the two that i i don't envy them as parents that feels very very challenging no i think that's tough yeah it is and i think they both agreed that this this was what they were going to do for the rest of their life and mm-hmm. they you know, going, leaving meant that this was no longer going to be their reality, but they chose, they chose this for their life. Like they did not choose this because we weren't getting what we want in the ways that people think. I think this was more about survival. He says, this stops with me. This Mm -hmm. is not being passed down to my kids or my relationship with my wife. I will die on this hill. And, and I really do believe history is going to be on his side. Like me too. Me too. So do you think that he should have married that Charles should have married Camilla? Mm. I mean, I, I mean, I feel bad for the whole situation with Diana and Charles was just, it was a mess and it's didn't serve anybody because even though Diana was completely young and naive, she herself was searching for love. She didn't come from a house of love. Her um, mother left her and um, she never saw her again. She was looking for a loving family in a loving home. Charles was not capable of doing that because he didn't. I mean, I'm sure he loved her. I don't know if he was in love with her. Well, there's a whole famous interview says, what is love really? Yeah. And it's telling because, I mean, look at. Margaret, there's so many people in that family that could never marry for love. And I think with with Elizabeth and Philip, I truly believe that they were in love. But I think when she became queen, things were really like hard for Philip, clearly, because he wasn't, I don't think she expected to be queen so soon. No, Um, of course not. Looking at the rest of the family, did anyone marry for love? All the kids were divorced at some point. I liked when he talked about Princess Margaret and he said that, um, that they would have been friends. And I do think that I think they would have probably been been pals. I think my opinion about Charles and Camilla is that Camilla was first. He liked her first. He she, yeah. he was in love with her first. You know, life's too short. I'm probably on the 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 B team, but I do think he should have married Camilla. I think ultimately yeah. that's that's who he wanted from the beginning, and it's his life. And he only gets so many freedoms. Okay, like the man yeah. is kind of caged in. <laughs> and the and I and I will say like I think the reason why. And I think he explains it in some way in the book that the reason why him and William and William were very much not on board with them getting married is because of they knew her reputation in the press and in the country mm-hmm. and how much Diana was still so loved and still so loved 25 years later that it would be hard for her to even emerge as someone that could be queen one day. It was more so like don't do that to her and don't do that to mom. They both have different legacies and they both mean something so differently to so many people. And she was the reason for their um, divorce. Also was kind of laughing at the pearl clutching about the drugs. Yeah, obviously he did drugs. 
guys. Like this was not a shock to me. I mean, every prep school boy was doing drugs. Every prep school boy still is doing drugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I like mean, we're not condoning it, but it's no. As long as you're safe. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, what's with the? Yeah, he admitted to to doing cocaine. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's not an uncommon thing among rich people. Watch two episodes of Succession, and you'll be like very aware of I what's mean. going on. Like, so I just think it's like I don't know. I just was kind of like, really, everyone's so shocked that he admitted he was doing all these drugs. Like, yeah, of course he was. He was grieving. He was a mess. A mess. And the only thing that saved him was basically detaching from his own humanity and living in an overly structured and just a different institution, which was the army. I mean, it saved his life, I think. I really do believe that. Oh, 100%. Um, he was told he was not smart mm-hmm. um, because not many people in his family had furthered their education. For him, it was like, well, I guess I'm just going to join the army. And he really found his fulfillment and felt purpose because this whole time he's like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Like, there's no path for me. There's no path for me to do anything. William had a clear path. Harry didn't. So the army was his path. I liked the, um, there were a lot of like funny metaphors about things that would carry on later in his life. Like the whole, um, he was doing a charitable event in Africa, I want to say. Where were we? Oh, no, the Caribbean. I'm sorry. He was doing a charity event in the Caribbean. He changed the, he broke protocol about planting a tree. He was like, I'm not shoveling dirt. I'm going to plant the tree. (laughs) And I was like, this feels like a metaphor for later in your life, Harry. And and even of the whole, like, um, you know, he was going to, in his gap year, he was going to go to Africa. Yeah. The whole Africa dilemma of William saying, no, Africa is my my thing. thing." Yeah. Africa is a continent. It's not a country. Um, (laughs) Very much that. And so to say, like, you just had territory over an entire continent come on well i i think that what i learned about about william reading this book is that he doesn't have a passion at all and the thing is he and i say this in the most sincere way and not even trying to shade him even though sometimes i want to he envies him because Harry has a sort of freedom that he will never have. Mm-hmm. He has a level of carefree that he will never have or can't. And so I'm sure he had more protection around him. So yeah. of course, he's Harry's been the fall guy from day one. There's no way they're going to have William no. like, being plastered around no. on the papers because that's the future king. Exactly. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stop yawning. Exactly. Wow. I'm so tired. I couldn't believe okay this is like not about Harry but this is just like a me thing I am very sensitive to animals suffering violence the carcass the rhino Mm -hmm. I didn't know that they don't kill them they just knock them out and then cut their horns off and then they wake up without a face I was not okay about that like poaching you mean yeah yeah that really 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 got me whenever he was thinking Balmoral if you're not familiar with hunting that I mean the whole head inside of his the carcass I've never heard of that in my life no but the whole like splattering the blood from the animal yes that's a very common thing if you are a hunter and I my father's side of the family does that if you are sensitive to animals that is in the book yeah yeah that's pretty wild oh we didn't talk about his his crown jewels okay this is what i'm gonna argue could i have gone without it yes does it really help his credibility also yes two things true at once 
That's the theme of the podcast. I feel like he wrote that in and his biographer was like, really? And he was like, how else are they going to believe that this whole book is true? Yeah. Because <laughs> why and would he admit to that without having to be like, you wouldn't just make that up. That's crazy. There was a rumor that Diana didn't get the boys circumcised. And so right, it was right. all this thing in the paper. And so it was talked about in the press all the time. That is so, so weird. I know. So and I feel weird. like everything in the press he spoke about, but he was like, yeah, basically saying, actually, no, this is yeah. what happened. That whole, but the thing is you were reading it. I was listening to him talk. I mean, debunking left and right, left and I right. I was like, oh, I was like, like, this is such a weird, if someone like came in and heard this, yeah. I've seen so many clips on Twitter <laughs> and people have dubbed it to a Bravo fight. Like from the housewives, <laughs> and it's the funniest thing. But I'm like, okay, okay, Harry, okay. It's yeah, we get it. We, we get it. We understand you are trying to prove your point. Uh-huh. <laughs> this could have not have gone left if yeah. even if it tried. No, definitely not. The whole um Williams wedding. Oh. I don't know. I mean, this is probably just my me being American and like wanting it to be a fairy tale. But that was that wedding was like the reason that I was like, who are these people? And then I look at, and look at me now. And I remember being like, wow, those brothers are so close. That's so great. He was his best man. Why wow, they look so handsome? And like I, I fell for all of it. I did not think that there was yeah. any sort of everyone's fault. Fell for it. Yeah. I mean, she looked. Kate still looked. I thought she looked amazing. Um, but the I just was like, wow, like. There's so much going on behind the scenes and um, it just made me really sad. I just thought, wow, like he, William, even William couldn't wear what he wanted to wear. No, he didn't. He couldn't even wear the, the whole beard gate thing and yeah, and not be able to wear his beard. Oh, we should talk so. about Chelsea and um, Cressida. Oh, yes. His f- two long-term relationships. Yes. Yes. Chelsea, I liked the way that he spoke about Chelsea. I like the way that he spoke about both of them. Yeah. I also liked that people talked about him being on and off, on and off with Chelsea Davy, And yeah. he really wasn't. Mm-hmm. They just like pretended that they broke up, which I thought was so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with Cressida. I liked, I, I, yeah, I liked them both. And I, I thought that he spoke about that, both of those relationships with a lot of love. And if I was either of them reading the book, I think I would have been really happy with how he described everything. Cause it's, it just, I was just like, wow, like what a mature man. Yeah. And I mean, they were both invited to the wedding. They, they yeah. were at the wedding, yeah. anyway, his wedding. And that's very yeah. standard practice for any like aristocratic yeah. fam- family to invite old flings or your old relationships. Cause Camilla was at, Diana and Charles's wedding. Uh-huh. Um, she wore white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good times. Um, so anyone that's a part of society, the whole stuff. But I feel like he really loved Chelsea's family. Yeah, he did. And his like, like his. So dad, when this like is you her, fall in love dad. with the family, you fall in love yeah. with the family. Yeah. Her her dad and her mom, and she was just so not phased about yeah. any of this. And I always thought that she was so. I always thought she was cool because I followed that relationship um, off and on. I don't know how well she would have been if they ended up being married, but it seems like I think she's married now. Um, yeah, one of them is. I think one of them is, or one of yeah, them is engaged. Something like that. I can't remember who which one it is. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about was how every time Harry sat down with the press about talking about after after his brother got married and after Kate was pregnant with George, how every reporter was like, 
are you sad? <laughs> yeah. Like, and Harry's like, like, it was hard to deal with. And I was like, imagine if you had a uterus guarantee you, it would have been 20 times worse. And I, and I really appreciate, like he said, the only thing he's ever wanted was to be married and be a father. Yeah. So take notes, like man. And I think it was because he wanted a family that he felt like maybe he didn't have, even though he talks about his cousins, mm-hmm. um, he doesn't talk about Zara or, um, what's her brother's name? I'm drawing a blank. Mike is her husband. What's her brother's name? Uh, nope. That's and Nope. Oh, God. We are you guys, professionals. You guys were so tired. Mark? No, not Mark. Peter Phillips. Peter. There we go. Oh, my God. Peter. Peter. That was very interesting. And the press also really wanted him to care about the line of succession. And Harry was like, I've never cared because I've never been in line. Exactly. Like... <laughs> The more and more William has kids, the more further down he goes. <laughs> yeah, like, literally. How, this is how it works. Harry's like, why would I care? You've told me my whole life that I shouldn't care. Why would I care now? Because he's married? What? It's just so funny. They just, it's so weird. The, the British press, What I, the, my biggest takeaway from the British press is that they're really weird. Like, not in a funny way. Like, in a, just a little bit of an awkward kid at school kind of way. Like, why are you talking about this stuff? And they have a case of amnesia. So much amnesia. I've learned through all of this how much the public relies on the press to tell them what to feel. Oh, I mean, my um, DMs tell me that story every day. <laughs> y'all, some of y'all like, are crazy. Does this? In, I mean, I, I don't want to paint this entire country as one way, but I'm like, there has no. to be somebody that's thinking for themselves and putting two and two together. Well, like, I take hope in the fact that it's the highest, fastest, excuse me, fastest selling nonfiction book in the UK. Next Guinness, to Harry Potter. No, in the world. In the world, sorry. It mm-hmm. sold over 1.4 million copies in a day. In a day. So there are people who want to understand what's happening or just want to read it and weep. But I, I, if you can read this book and feel anything other than just – I just felt at the end of it – well, we'll talk about that next week. But there were so many parts of this book that I just felt so much despair and frustration. I didn't feel any of it was disingenuous. I didn't feel no. any of it was money-grabbing or narcissistic or anything like that. I just felt like this is his story. There were times where I had to remind myself that this wasn't written by somebody else. I remember yeah. being like, wow, like this is very personal. How do they know this? And I was like, oh, because it's it's him. He would know because it was his life. Because we've never done – no one's ever done this before. No. And everyone's – you know, we've relied on these biographers to tell us what things are right. and not even sussing it out a little bit or like, is this actually true? Because they go on television speaking so firmly of that they – have all the answers. They have all the correct context. My my source said this and it's a very credible source. I don't think there's anyone that's more credible than the actual person. This is, I feel like he's pretty fair. It's not about him giving himself a glowing review. Like he's honest in this. He is telling on himself. And I'm very interested to wonder that if this was a female writing this book, would he, would this person be getting this much hate for telling their story? Mm -hmm. And we ultimately treat, we treat men who write memoirs differently than we treat women who write memoirs. Yes. The only memoir that I love to this day is Jessica Simpson's books called open book. 
it was fantastic. Very going through the work and going to therapy and speaking to the people around him, even speaking to family members, like his mom's side of the family to help with his memory. A good portion of his first part of his life, he doesn't remember. And I can't imagine living a life and not be able to remember your childhood. Two things I also wanted to point out too, where he, there was a, a theme of a wall that was brought up twice, but in totally different connotations. Um, the first one was he called it the wall. This is why I also thought it was great that we had the docuseries because we had the footage of them on a ski trip talking mm -hmm. to the wall of photographers. Mm -hmm. He called it the wall. And then he also said that his memories were on the other side of a very high mental wall. So that was just, it was just a big theme for the whole, the whole book was just him sort of breaking down these walls, both the press and his own mental blocks as well. I did you, okay, on a funny note, there were a couple of things that I thought were really funny. Charles doing headstands in his boxers every morning. Really. <laughs> I was like, oh, this book is interesting. Okay. Um, the other thing that I, one of the things that made me laugh out loud was when right before he meets Megan was the, <laughs> when he met Will Arnett at Courtney Cox's, at his, Courtney oh, Cox's. Yeah. I, oh, I was like, who is he talking about? And then I looked up who played Batman in the Lego movie and I was like, shut up. Yes. I need you to go back to that particular part where he's talking about um, doing, was it mushrooms? Yeah. He is making sound allegedly. effects. Allegedly. He's making, allegedly. He's making sound effects. What? About the toilet. He goes, whoa. <laughs> and I, I lost it. I lost it. You have to go back and listen to it. Like, and why, like for when he was like on a trip, that's so funny. Yes, he's like, Ooh. like he literally sorry everyone listening but that is i was cackling i was like what is going <laughs> on and then also another funny one his whack american accent is so funny i feel like all british people go straight to like hick when they oh instantly they're like everyone in america southern and i'm like what are you talking about i don't see it's i'm like it's so bad i just like i can see will arnett being like Hello, Harry. Like in his Will Arnett voice. If Harry goes on Smartless, I will pass away. So just <laughs> just send flowers to my home. If Will Arnett, oh could you imagine if Will Arnett got Prince Harry to go on Smartless? I think Jason Bateman would leave the show. <laughs> <laughs> I um, felt bad reading about the, the panic attacks that Harry mm. was having during the public events Jeez, and stuff. That's a lot that I yeah. Like, he's, a, he's a sweater um, like, you can get injections for that <laughs> when i was reading about how he had all of these he was like i guess all of the the suppression of all of his feelings was sort of catching up with him after mm -hmm. post army um or post um second tour of duty i should say and i loved talking about the invictus games and how he found that and all that um but yeah, I thought parts one and two were great. A lot of the military stuff went over my head. Part two is such, it's very long. It's very long. And a lot of it went over my head, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of like, I, if I'm being honest, that section I really zoned out. I, I don't have a lot of veterans in my family, but I have dated quite a few men who've served. And mm -hmm. the way he describes coming out of the military and I thought was will do a lot of good for men who read the book and for other veterans and, and for women who, who who also have served. I think it will do a lot of good for those people to read the book. Um, and I think that maybe he, I think that it may have been strategic for him to make that chap, that part so long because it really speaks to a very specific audience. And I think that was smart 
on his part, even though I didn't really get as much from it as probably they will. Including so much of that because I was such a big part of his life and that's yeah. such a big part of his work. I come from maybe a military family. My um, dad was in the Air Force. My grandpa served in Korea. I have two cousins right now that are in the Army and the Air Force and the Navy. So if that's three. <laughs> Even watching him on Colbert and like acknowledging the veteran that were at the show just made me so emotional because sure, coming home, whether you do a tour or you're stationed somewhere and you come back home and your country that you serve doesn't treat you the way that they should be treating you. There's no, not enough resources. It's just sad. And so to have him honor them in that moment, even when the press was trying to get the military community against him, it's like such a low blow. It's really below the belt. And once you served, you were in a community for life. Yeah, yeah. And... He has thousands of veterans that he works with from all over the world with the Invictus Games. The links that these people will go to, and I'm just like, what is what is the end game here? Yeah, to what end? That's my question. What's the, what's the what's, end game? Do they have to die for you to stop? What's the point? Why does he? Why does there need? To, this is my my bigger question, and I guess I came out of this with this on my mind was to what benefit is it to have a villain in the royal family? Why does there need to be a villain in the royal family? Why does there have to be one who who's a mess? And why not fix this now before Louis and Charlotte and George and Archie and Lily grow up and have to deal with the same problems? Like so similar to what we were talking about last last episode. How often are we going to say we're going to learn from our mistakes and just mm-hmm. not? not make the same mistake. Just yeah. make a different choice. You know, which child are they going to offer up to the press? Well, they're already doing it with Lou- with Louis. And You're already it- seeing it with Louis. Louis had one bad day at a sporting event and now he's he's naughty and he's cheeky and he's what four? What do you do- like what are you doing? And they're making Kate to look like a bad mother yeah. because she couldn't wrangle her child in that like second like because he had a bad day. I think every mother can attest that their child has had a day and that was not the setting for a child to be honest after that sporting event you didn't see him for a while he wasn't no. at a lot of public events he wasn't at the funeral for the queen no i mean yes he's really I mean, little and for a four-year-old, but no. yes and it's not his his parents know what's best for him for sure they're babies they're children even like seeing how um at the christmas concert when all the all of them showed up wearing different versions of the same color burgundy just to prove a point <laughs> because Meghan markle has no power over that family the way that the the one of the tabloids which I, i'm not going to name here posted a photo of charlotte looking back with like a funny expression on her face as a dig to her aunt because megan markle is her aunt you guys and like and charlotte fully knows what's going on like people. like like what do you she's what give me a break the fact it's that just, they put her a child on the cover yeah of a gross. newspaper disgusting are they going to you know do things differently like Charlotte's very much she gives me Anne energy. Yes. She's like she, I'm keeping these boys in check because Charles and Andrew were a mess. But you have a member of the family who was a part of a sex ring. Well, there's that. When I saw a poll like 
Oh, I saw this too. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. The popularity that her, him and Megan's popularity are the lowest it's ever been uh, um, under the 65 and over crowd, which is no surprise there. It's lower than Andrew on what planet. Yeah. It's, 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 I saw that today and I was like, what? (laughs) I have a lot of faith in the younger generations of Britain for sure. Charlotte is seven, by the way, just to clarify, It, it would be different if the monarchy really had any influence on legislation, any influence on lawmaking, but they don't. They're figureheads. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and their their sole purpose is philanthropy. Their sole purpose is to provide stability to the culture of Britain and to provide tourism. Making somebody a villain, all that does is hurt the charities that they are pushing. Everybody loses. Like this is what I'm saying: is that the business model makes no sense. Makes that's no what sense. I said at the beginning, like in the other episode that. You are a company. You are, you have all these different own little entities within this one big umbrella. So if one's not succeeding or getting good press, the whole thing is a mess. They throw each other under the bus to make themselves look good, but doesn't make anybody look good because you're still part of the family. I don't understand that strategy at all. That's the good thing about what Harry and Meghan have done in exposing the way that this in exposing the way that this business model um, operates is that, as I said before, they completely, I can no longer read any sort of article that says a royal, a source close to the royals or a royal source. I know, I now know exactly where it's coming from. This, this, this misguided response of, oh, they can't respond. Yes, they can. And they are. And if you, if you're, yeah. And if you're choosing not to believe that, that is unfortunately for you a choice. That is a choice. Yes. There's time that the press is kind of going after other members and they're seeing it from their vantage point. And like, right. William Mo says like, well, Pa and Camilla just did this to me and Kate. He sees it when it happens to him, but he wasn't help. He wasn't sympathetic to Harry or Megan. That's what was really confusing to me. Because I think he it's, kept saying that I don't understand why you left. I think it's, one of those situations, again, where multiple things can be true, I think William was raised to think that it wouldn't happen to him. So when it did, right. I think he was outraged, but he mm-hmm. doesn't hold the same standards for Harry because in his mind, Harry isn't the heir. And I don't think it's like a conscious thing. Like, I don't think William walks around being like, I'm better than my brother. But I think, I mean, and, and look, like I, I have noticed it myself watching him at events, watching the way that he speaks to people. I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm not saying that he is rude or anything like that, but there, there I feel an entitlement energy there for sure, because he was raised. I mean, you're raised, you're, it's not his fault. You're raised your whole life to know that you're going to be the next king of England. You're treated a certain way. You're going to a certain school. Your activities as a teenager, sowing your wild oats are not reported the same way. Of course, you're going to come out a different kind of person because you've never, you're the amount of times you've had to be accountable for your actions. It's not as, it's, it's completely different. I'm not saying it's not, it didn't happen, but it mm-hmm. happened differently. And I don't think there's any way you can dispute that if you look at the press coverage of the two boys when they were growing up. It's, it's just unfortunate. Yeah. But I will say this one part that I really like during the Queen's Golden Jubilee, he was saying like all he wanted to do is go up and give her a hug. Wait, who? Like Harry said this whenever About- he, the, the Queen. Oh, like yes. He wanted to just go up and give his grandmother a hug, but he knew that he couldn't. No, I did not give my grandma a hug. You never touched the monarch. Yeah, like, he was like, I, I wanted to give her a hug. I almost gave her a hug. I didn't give her a hug. Oh, yeah, because she wasn't relation. listening to the music. She had yes. earplugs in. <laughs> yes. And so he was so just funny. Like, their relationship was very special. And that possibly was something that William probably 
wanted as well. Yeah. His relationship with his grandmother was very different. She expected a lot from him. I will say I did come out of this book really liking her, liking her even more than I did before. Seems like there's a lot of things out of her hands, even though she's the queen. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty. Thanks for listening, you guys. We're going to, we're going to leave it there. I think we said, we said quite a lot. lot. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a lot. There was a lot in this book. So we hope we covered everything. Um, and we'll cover part three and our conclusion feelings and thoughts in the next bonus episode. I just want to say it's been a crazy ride to be part of something that's this historic. I mean, we were younger when Diana's book came out, Mm -hmm. so we weren't really around for the frenzy. And obviously the frenzy was more so in the press. The fact that his book was the best-selling nonfiction book of all time is a testament to to people who keep saying that nobody cares. No one cares. cares. No one's going to read it. No one likes a complainer or victim. Well, clearly people either love him or they're hate reading it. And either way, he's making money and giving it to it, charity. Either so, way. Yeah. <laughs> it makes like, zero sense to me. I love him. I love when people own themselves. I'm like, nice. <laughs> people didn't know. I think I want to say 1.4 million of proceeds of this book are going to charity. Um, yeah. His Santa Ballet charity. So. And every uh, well child. Yes, $400,000 to Wellchild. So for anyone who has issues of him making money, the man is still a man of service. And also like, you know how expensive his security is? Yes, he said $10 million a year. He has to make money, you guys. Especially after the crap that they posted about him with the military service. The headlines with that, those were dangerous. He needs real life, like Obama security. Like, this is not yeah. a joke. Speaking of Obama, he beat Obama. I know. I was like, wow. <laughs> okay, it worked. Well, thanks for tuning in. And um, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at Kellyanne DiCarlo, K-E-L-L-I-A-N-N. And I am at Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y underscore E underscore white, like the color. And if you want to follow the podcast, follow um, it at She Wakes Up at 5 a.m. podcast. 5 a.m. spelled out, not the number. And yeah, keep coming back. Um, A lot of this is trial and error really, (laughs) and seeing what works and what doesn't. And clearly we've had a lot of great um, support and rate us five stars, leave a comment and we'll see you back next time. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being with us this week. Follow us on Instagram at she wakes up at 5am podcast. And if you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to rate and subscribe to us so that you never miss an episode. Special thanks to Redbrandt for our theme song. Be sure to find more of his work on Instagram at R E D D B R A N D T. See you next time.